minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome, welcome, people across the country, Northern Territory, Tasmania, the ACT, New South Wales, South Australia, West Australia, and Victoria. Welcome to the and the Northern Territory, which I almost forgot, and we do have listeners in the Northern Territory. This is the Anarchist World This Week, being broadcast via the Community Radio Network across Australia. The program is streaming live around the globe and to Mars via 3 well, I don't know about Mars, I made that up, 3cr.org.au, 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast, so if you miss some of it, you fall asleep, which is understandable. Somebody knocks on the door to borrow a, let's say, a cup of sugar, <laughs> the new drug. Um, well, the program is podcast. Go to 3cr.org.au. We had a bit of trouble with podcasts previously, but... It's all hunky-dory now. It's all good. Now, what are we going to talk about today? Oh, yeah, an anarchist society. An anarchist society is a voluntary, non-hierarchical society based on the creation of political and social structures that are based on equal decision-making power that's direct democracy. It's a society where wealth is held in common and used for the common good. Why those two concepts, the devolution of power and the sharing of wealth? Well, an anarchist is somebody who wants to live... In a society without rulers, not without rules, without rulers. And what's the best way to achieve that? The best way to achieve that is to devolve power and share wealth. Very simple. The greater the concentration of wealth and the greater the concentration of power, the greater the inequalities, uh, the uh, more powerful those who make decisions become, as we're seeing around the globe. Now, look... I know this is a recurring theme, but unfortunately, in the land of Oz, the land down under, this theme seems to be on everybody's lips occasionally, <laughs> and nobody seems to be able to do anything about it. So let's go back to taxation. Let's go back to taxation. I mean, what's the role of the state? The state traditionally was an instrument of authority that those in power used to maintain their power. Very simple. That's all it was. That's all the state was. During the 20th century, the age of uh, revolution, the 19th and 20th century, the ages of revolution, what happened was that popular discontent, popular insurrection, revolts and revolutions 
forced the state to take on the responsibility of looking after its citizens. Simple. So the purpose of the state was actually transformed through popular discontent. It was transformed from an instrument of oppression to an instrument of oppression and also an instrument which actually is there to provide the needs of people. And the more democratic a state, the less oppressive that state should be. The less democratic, the greater the oppressive capacity. Although in Australia we've seen that you can be a democratic state and be exceptionally oppressive, but we'll look at that in a minute. So how was the state supposed to look after the needs of the people it rules? Traditionally, the state plundered the people it ruled in order to create those who exercise power, in order to solidify their position. I mean, we had the usual thing, you know, the divine right of kings, you know, somehow God came down and put these murderers and rapists on the, phone, on the throne. Then they had the authority to murder and rape, you know, to maintain their power. I know it all sounds very simple, but it is very simple because everybody says it's so complex. I'm confused. It's all very complex. It's not complex. It's exceptionally simple. Although technology may have changed, the original issues have been there since time immemorial, where we've seen people struggle to determine their own future. So, what happened? Well, with the emergence of uh, the capitalist class, the state had the ability not only to tax tax its citizens as individuals, but also tax corporations. Now, let's, let's stop the history lesson. So let's come back to 2016. So in 2016, we've, we've got this dilemma. And again, I'm talking about Australia, and obviously you can, you know, you can uh, kind of extrapolate this to the rest of the world. But let's concentrate on Australia because that's what I'm familiar with, being born here and living here. So in 2016, we have seen, I'm going to use the four words, I'm sorry, put your hands over your ears, the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatised revolution, which has occurred in this country since, since 1975, what we have seen is the contribution that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange, communication makes to the welfare of the community as a whole has rapidly dwindled. And that contribution has rapidly dwindled, and I'll look at a few figures in a minute or two. It has rapidly dwindled. (laughs) That's a good one, isn't it? Uh, Has rapidly dwindled because corporations are now so powerful that they determine government policy. Not in terms of putting their finger on a government's shoulder and saying, you're going to do this, but in terms of government's understanding 
that if they pass legislation which actually tends to share the wealth created by these corporations, that things will go awry for them. That's how it works. It's very simple. So what's your beef, Joe? What's your beef? Well, my beef is this. And again, I'm going to use a term which I use almost every week for the last 39 years. The beef is this. It's very, very, very simple. We have 25 million people living on a continent, right? 25 million people living on a continent. And if you pick up a newspaper, surf the net, listen to radio, watch television, you would think that we are living in some type of third world developing country. Constant stories about, you know, youth crime. Hang them, guillotine them, I say. Well, that's what they say. Constant stories about this and that. Not enough money for public education, but there is enough money to pay corporate CEOs tens of millions of dollars. Never enough money for public health, but there is enough money to provide the private health insurance industry for $5.5 billion golden handshake every year. Never enough money for public infrastructure. And the list goes on and on. There is never enough resources. And you know the answer? It's very simple. It is so devilishly simple. And on every day, you've got some article, some expert, some commentator telling us what it's like and then forgetting about it the next day. Not on the anarchist world this week. For example, in Australia, the tax take is around $480 billion, all right? That $480 billion is basically used to keep the country afloat. It's that simple. And if it's not enough, you need to borrow, you know. We hear the Liberal National Party continue to wobble on about, you know, waffle on about the uh, deficit. So of that $480 billion, how much do you think is collected from corporate Australia which employs almost 55 to 60% of people in this country? $150 billion? No. $100 billion? No. Well, the total company tax take the last financial year was $68 billion. Now, don't get carried away. Remember, there are almost 2 million small businesses in this country, employing over 5 million people. Now, if every one of these small businesses, most of them have got a company, some type of company structure, if they pay $10,000 tax a year, that would raise, say, another $20 billion. So corporate Australia is paying less than $50 billion, about 11 to 12% of the total tax take. And they do it, in the majority of cases, legally. So when Mr Rupert Murdoch, and I hate hate to you know go back to this, but I'm going to go back to it to the day I die or the day he pays back the billion dollars. When Mr Rupert Murdoch received an $886 million tax refund in 2013, when Mr Tony Abbott was elected as uh, 
Prime Minister, well, as this country. Well, he wasn't elected, but his party chose him as Prime Minister. You know, you would think there would have been revolution, a hullabaloo. Doesn't exist. Debate didn't exist. And it's the same with the corporate sector. Occasionally mentioned, never followed up. Occasionally brought in Parliament, never followed up. Not followed up by legislation, never followed up. So how do you expect for essential basic services to be provided to an increasing number of Australians who find themselves in difficult situations if the corporate world pays voluntary taxation? How do you expect it? Well, the way you do it is you screw those who find themselves in the most difficult position, who are least able to fight back. You screw the 33% of Australians who are social security beneficiaries. You make it harder to become a social security beneficiary. You make it inordinately complex. You make it very difficult. People have got to, you know, jump through so many hoops that some just fall exhausted by the wayside. And you see them living on the streets. And then you have pay-as-you-earn taxpayers legally paying tax every week, deducted from their pay packet. Not that we have pay packets these days. Those days are gone. It's a figure of speech. And then you've got people like the Business Council of Australia, you know, apologists for the corporate world saying, we need to be tougher. There are too many bludgers out there. They need to be working for $3 an hour. And the list goes on and on. And we hear stories, countless stories, not just small businesses, you know, uh, ripping off their workers, but large multinational transnational corporations illegally ripping off workers. And then we see our parliamentary representatives unable or unwilling to even look at the problem, let alone grapple with the problem. So it is simple. It is exceptionally simple. You want a decent society, everybody should be rowing, taking a turn at rowing the boat. No freeloaders. And those freeloaders, the biggest freeloaders in this country, are not people taking home a wage or people on social security benefits. The biggest freeloaders in this country transnational corporations and local businesses who somehow think they are immune from contributing to the community. They're quite happy to, you know, use the police. They're quite happy to use the health services. They're quite happy to use the courts. They're quite happy to use public infrastructure, you know, to generate profits. But when it comes to contributing... No interest. And it doesn't matter what I say unless this issue is tackled seriously. Nothing will ever change in this country. Nothing will change unless this topic is tackled, looked at, examined, 
nothing will ever change. We will see increasing people, increasing numbers of people on Social Security benefits, find it more and more difficult to survive. We will see a growth in the number of working poor in this country. That's right, people who work 40 hours, 50 hours, 60 hours a week, many in casual part-time jobs, take home such little money they can't even pay their day-to-day expenses, let alone look after their children. And then you need to join the dots, don't you? Think about it. Joining the dots. Why do you think we've got increasing suicide rates? Why do you think family violence or domestic violence is is becoming an epidemic? Is it increased reporting? Or are there increasing pressures on an increasing number of people in our community. Why is the refuge, you know, people running to alcohol and drugs, such a huge issue in this country compared to many other places around the world? Why is it that so few young people are actually able to get their hands on a home, let alone a safe, secure job. And the list goes on and on. And obviously, while all this is happening, what's the big issue? What is the big issue today? What is the big issue? What will happen in the next few days or in the next 24 hours? Well, the Australian Building Construction Commission legislation will pass the Senate. So who are the enemies in the 21st century? Trade unionists, criminals, thugs. That's what we're told. We need to restrict their freedoms. We need, you know, to give them less rights than a... Somebody's been charged with importing $100 million worth of heroin into this country. That's what we need to do. And when you look at the so-called crossbenchers in this country, as I said after the last election, what we saw was a election of the hate mongers and the pseudo-liberal nationals. You know who I'm talking about. Of the 11 crossbenchers, I wouldn't piss on, I wouldn't piss on 10 of them if they were on fire. And you'll see them line up. You'll see them line up to pass the Australian Building Construction Commission legislation. You will see them line up. The Justice Party, Mr Hinch. The Xenophon Party, Mr Party. You know, Mr Xenophon, Mr Party. The Divided Nation crowd. I don't call them one nation. Divided Nation, the hate mongers, you know. The hate mongers, the Divided Nation people. The so-called Liberals Democrat, Senator Lionhome. What a piece of work. And in conjunction with their Liberal National Party mates we will see time and time again they will get together to pass legislation to cripple 
the very organisations and the very people that have actually brought us out of the workhouses of the 18th century. So what do you say to me? Well, Jay, what can I do? Well, you don't say that to me. It doesn't happen, I tell you. It doesn't happen that often. There are ways. Now, I know everybody thinks they've got the solution to every problem. Well, I don't have the solution to one problem. But I do know that collectively we can work towards solutions to the problems we face. And the first problem we face is that those with a non-authoritarian agenda, those with an egalitarian agenda, have been frozen out of the parliamentary processes. We can no longer rely on the traditional political parties to fill that void. They have been shown to be wanting. They have been the architects of the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation revolution. And those that are jumping up and down, many of those who find themselves on the Senate crossbenches, are the very same people who peddle that message of hate, which is becoming such a common feature in our society. Such a common feature. It's as if people think that in the race of life, that's right, the race of life, that we all start on an equal footing, you know, and that somehow we will all make the necessary contributions. Every child that's born starts on an equal footing. What a load of garbage. What a load of crap. We don't start on equal footing. Life is a handicap race. And some people will never be in a position under the current legislative framework, under the current society we find ourselves in, to actually find themselves in that completing that race successfully, let alone starting that race. Life is a handicap race. And the role of society, not just the state, which has been forced to take an interest in the welfare of its citizens, the role of society is to ensure that those inequalities are not glossed over and people talk about harsher sentences, hang him in the streets, put them in the stocks, put children, you know, in adult prisons like they do in Victoria, torture those who've started, you know, behind the uh, eight ball, give all the joys of life to those with parents who've got everything, and the list goes on and on. Come on. Think about it. What we need is the creation of a new political movement, yes, and political party, that is inclusive. It doesn't see the other as the enemy. It doesn't think that somebody of a different religious bent or no religious bent or a different colour or a different language group or different cultural tra tra traditions or a different sexual orientation or another gender 
is the enemy. Political correctness is the enemy. Hallelujah. We just exterminate those people and all be hunky-dory. We'll all be enjoying ourselves. Well, it ain't that easy, although it's not complex. It's very simple. And what we find in Australia today, especially in the parliamentary scene, is the hate mongers filling the seats that the traditional political parties are now losing. And whether it's, you know, President Donald Groper in the US of A, or the, you know, the Hungarian Prime Minister, who's such a wonderful asset to the community, we are now drawing within ourselves and saying, it's me, I'm the only one that's important. It's me and my family against the world. What a load of crap. But that's the dilemma. Social cohesion is unravelling, and it's unravelling rapidly. And it's unravelling rapidly because there are bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger holes being created in the social security net where people are left behind. If people are left behind and treated as outlaws, they will become outlaws. And if you think by incarcerating them for long periods of time you're going to resolve that problem, you won't resolve that problem. The US of A is coming to the realisation that having, you know, two or three million people in privately run prisons would generate income for private corporations is somehow a way they're going to reduce crime. It doesn't. It's the same here. I mean, we've got a mass media or a corporate-owned media which somehow thinks that the solution to the problems we face is hanging them for stealing a loaf of bread. That's the mentality. And it's interesting to hear, listen, read the tough-on-crime brigade out there, the tough-on-the-other brigade, those who believe in mass um, punishment, and the list goes on and on. And why? Because we are a divided nation. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Want to learn more about anarchism? Go to the Anarchist Media Institute website, anarchistmedia.org. You can go to my personal Facebook Facebook page, Toscano for the public, not FOR, for the public. Everything that I'm involved in politically, up there. You want to know about my whether what time I um, pass stools? You won't get it on my Facebook page. Uh, it is a, it is a political fa- Facebook page, Toscano for the public. You want to do something about what's happening? Well, ever considered joining Pipsy, public interest before corporate interest? formed in April 2015. It's a political and social movement which uh, is some, is fashioned on the political and social movements which are, to a significant degree, uh, becoming significant in uh, Italian and Portuguese, uh, Spanish politics. People who don't see the other as an enemy, but people who see that the solution... The solution 
to the problems we face is not more prisons and more fuggery and more hate and more division, but the solution to the problems we face is ensuring those that dominate the economic system and the social system today pay their fair share. And if they're forced to pay their fair share, they're forced to pay their fair share. Because ultimately, a society is there for all of us, not just for a few powerful people, the one percenters. So think about it. Join PIPSI, public interest before corporate interest. Hopefully we'll be able to register as a political party by the middle of next year when you need 550 members on the Australian electoral roll. That's the law. You want to be a, a registered political party? That's what you've got to do. That's it. That's the law. Even that's been commodified now. You've got to, you know, find your 550 people, put in your application, have it processed, and three or four months later, hey, presto, you're an official political party. Now, there are a lot of official political parties, about 44, 45. And if you go through them, you'll be amazed how many have been formed by the hate mongers. How many have been formed by the purveyors of hate? How many have been formed by those who want to divide the nation on the basis of race or religion? I mean, think about it. Join public interests before corporate interests. Join is easy. Down the Download the application form from Pipsi, P-I-B-C-I dot net, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Download the application form. You can go to the website, www.pipsi.net. You can go to the Facebook page, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests. You can, um, you know, if you haven't got a computer... We don't leave people behind. This is not the Australian Broadcasting Corporation or the corporate-owned media where if you don't have uh, access to a computer or you refuse to use computers, you somehow don't exist. Well, you do exist in our world. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052 for an application form. Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052. You can email us at anarchistage at... Sorry, you can email us at... Info at pipsy.net. Or you can give us a ring, 0439-395-489-0439-395-489. Leave a contact uh, number or just leave us a contact address and we'll send you an application form for public interest before corporate interest. We need about another 300 members or about 270, 280 members on the electoral roll, although we've got over 600 members, only about 280, 270 are actually on the electoral roll currently. So ring us up, join. If you're on the electoral roll, even better. That's it, Pipsy. Because there are things you can do. Because all advances in human history have occurred because small bands of people have believed in what they are doing. That's how advances in human history has occurred. And those small bands have become bigger groups and bigger groups and bigger groups. And that struggle to devolve power and share wealth is an ongoing struggle. Although it's been derailed over the past 50 years in the Western world, it is an ongoing struggle. It is not aberrant. 
not a bearing struggle. It is an ongoing struggle that we all need, or we should, not all, we should participate in. Because, I mean, what I love about Australians is the role historic amnesia seems to play in our world. Historic amnesia regarding how this country was brutally colonised. The historic amnesia about the fact that all the freedoms we enjoy are the product of an ongoing struggle which has been conducted by generations of people who have paid, in many cases, the ultimate price for their involvement in that struggle. It is a blood-drenched road. And if somehow you think that backdating the Australian Building and Construction Union legislation to 2004, oh, did you know that? That's something I just found out, that it's going to be backdated to April 2014. Sorry, April 2014. Incredible. Incredible. Think about it. Ball's in your court. It's not in my court. I come here, look at the walls, say what I feel, try to make a sense, some sense of the world we find ourselves in today, offer a handout to you and say, please join us. Can't do it alone. We need other people to assist us in this struggle. You want to join us? We organise lots of things, lots of things that people can become involved in. And in the majority of cases, it doesn't cost you a bloody cent. It's time. It's about time. So join Pipsy, public interest before corporate interests. Nothing to lose but the change you wear. But you may be in love with the change you wear. You may be that type of person. Who knows? This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia. Oh, isn't it amazing the important issues destroying the trade union, what's left of the trade union movement, the Australian Building Construction Com- Commission, and and to change the law so that we can insult and offend people because of their racial origins. So we can all be bigots and racists. Good to know. It's good to know that the government has called an inquiry into freedom of speech. Uh, Not generally freedom of speech. Just because obviously there's no constitutional protection to freedom of speech in Australia. But freedom of speech as far as the racial discrimination law is concerned. You know? How about all the legislation that's been passed in the last 10 years to grossly limit freedom of speech? How about the laws that have been passed to make it a criminal offence for people on Nauru and Manus, working on Nauru and Manus Island, sharing, sharing with the world what they've learnt, unless you're a doctor and they had to do that because they would have lost that high court case. How about all the restrictions to freedom of speech, you know, that have been legislated through the so-called anti-terrorist acts that we've had in this country over the last 15 years. So we're all happy, happy for racial bigots to carry on. But how about religious bigots? Religious radicals. Well, that's not a good thing, is it? 
So what I'm saying is, think about it. Think about it. Think about what's happening in this country. Brother against brother, sister against sister, community against community, divide and rule, you know, as long as we're fighting each other over crap. And that's what it is, crap. We won't look at the bigger picture. We won't join the dots. We won't see that the oppression in this country and the, most of the problems that we face, not all, but most of the problems we face are due to structural economic inequality, which allows those who exercise power to continue to that exercise that unrestrained power in this country. Think about it. 25 million people living on a continent, resource-rich exporting stuff overseas. But guess what? You know, most of it doesn't come back. Most of that money goes to transnational corporations. Most of the taxpayer, many taxpayers' dollars go into corporate welfare, almost as big as the Social Security budget, bigger than the defence budget, the corporate welfare budget. All those tax deductions and tax loopholes and all that public money which is pumped into the private sector, you know, to uh, do public work. Yeah, it's up to you, really. It really is up to you. You want to change you need to struggle to ensure that change becomes a reality. Let's move on to defend and extend public housing, which is a problem across the country. But uh, defend and extend public housing was uh, formed about eight weeks ago in Victoria. It was very simple. It's a public interest before corporate interest initiative. And it was formed because we were approached by people in the public housing sector to assist them to try to coordinate this struggle to defend and extend public housing in a state which has a a Labor government. Now, you may be confused, because I was confused when I first jumped into this a few weeks, a few months ago, but I'm no longer confused, and I'm sure you won't be confused. And we do need your support for the Defend and Extend Public Housing campaign, because our next rally outside Victorian Parliament will be on the last sitting day of Parliament, which is Thursday the 8th of December, between 11.30 and 1.30 p.m., 11.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m., Thursday the 8th of December, outside Parliament House, Victorian Parliament House, Spring Street. There on top of the hill, you'll see the banner, Defend and Extend Public Housing, you'll see the people, and they'll come and go. Now, this is a people's rally on the 8th of December. No big names, because big names don't seem to be interested in the public housing struggle. This is a people's rally. This is a rally that people who are interested in the concept of public housing, those who live in public housing, those who need in public housing, those who want to be in public housing, those who are on the waiting list, will be at. And they will be able to speak on an open microphone. And we will attempt to get everybody who wants to speak the ability to speak. Because this is a struggle that's not going to be won by leaders and big names. This is a struggle that's going to be won by the people who demand that affordable housing is a right, not a privilege. Now, if you're confused about the terminology that is used by the Victorian state governments and other state governments around the country, the opposition, government bureaucracies, the community and social housing sector, the corporate-owned media 
and the ABC about public housing, then listen on, listen on. Public housing has been traditionally owned and managed by the state on behalf of the taxpayer. Don't forget that. It was initially established to provide housing for people who, for a variety of reasons, found it difficult to rent or buy a home. The growth of public housing across the country in the 60s, 70s and 80s went a long way towards overcoming the housing needs of most Victorians and Australians. Over the past quarter of a century, governments of all political colours have neglected the public housing sector. They have relied on government subsidies to property owners through rental assistance subsidies to people on social security benefits who privately rent and through generous negative gearing taxation exemptions to investors who rent properties they own. That's their solution to the housing crisis. By paying landlords to invest. Over the past decade, housing affordability has become a critical issue for an increasing number of Australians who have been priced out of the property market and rental market. All you've got to do is walk through the CBD and an increasing number of peripheral shopping centres to actually see the effect this is is having on people in terms of homelessness. Governments have increasingly relied on community and social housing groups to fill the shortfall. These organisations are privately owned and run, although some are not-for-profit. They rely on government support and subsidies to provide their services. Over the past decade, we have seen an increasing number of these organisations taking over the management of public housing. They don't own it, but they manage it on behalf of the state government. In Victoria, over the past six years, both the Andrews-led government, Labor government, and the former Liberal National Party government have been increasingly reliant on the private sector to provide public housing. Publicly owned land is given away to the private sector to develop if they build some public housing or units. In most of these new developments, the ratio of privately owned houses, units, to publicly owned houses, units, is three to one. So every three private sector developments, there is one and usually not of the same standard. We understand the Andrews-led Labor government in Victoria has made a decision that has not been publicly announced to transfer the titles of a substantial proportion of public housing, approximately 70% according to some authorities, to privately owned organisations. This will allow these privately owned social and community housing groups to use the titles to borrow money to expand their empires. It will also mean, and this is the important thing, the end of the security public housing tenants currently enjoy. For all intents and purposes, they will become part of the private rental market. Rents will increase 
and housing security will decrease. Because the joy of being in public housing is not just the fact that your rental payments are capped at 25% of your income, but the joy is the security that people enjoy who don't have to rely on the whims of a private landlord. In 2016-17, the only people who can access public housing are those who find themselves in desperate circumstances. Right? Low-income individuals and families languish on the public housing waiting list for years because there is no public housing. We don't need the government to outsource its responsibility to provide public housing for people who need housing. We need more public housing, not less. We'll be holding monthly rallies until the next state election in Victoria in 2018 on the steps of Parliament House until our parliamentary representatives in the Victorian Legislative Assembly and Legislative Councils support policies that ensure no more public titles will be transferred or sold to privately owned corporations. Current and future governments will not enter into any more public-private public housing partnerships. The management of public housing will not continue to be transferred to privately owned organisations and public housing stocks are substantially increased. If you want to learn more about what's going on, Go to Defend and Extend Public Housing Facebook page, Defend and Extend Public Housing Victoria, or join us at the rallies. The last rally for the year will be on Thursday, the 8th of December, between 11.30 to 1.30, and and there'll be rallies on Wednesday, the 8th of February, 2017, and Wednesday, the 8th of March, 2017, and the times have changed from midday to 2pm. But you want to have access to this uh, material? Go to the website, Defend and Extend Public Housing, or go to the Facebook page, Defend and Extend Public Housing Victoria. See you on Thursday the 8th of December on the steps of Parliament House, 11.30 to 1.30. As I said, this is a people's, people's revolution. I mean, I mean revolution, revolution in terms of changing the government's attitude to public housing. As I said, affordable housing is a right, not a privilege. The public housing debate also has a direct impact on people renting and people buying, especially first home buyers. The greater the number of public housing stocks, the more rents will decrease in the private sector and prices will fall in the private sector, especially for people buying their first first home loans. It's a matter of supply and demand, isn't it? No public housing sector, the private sector will squeeze you, as we've seen, with no public banking sector, no telecommunication, public telecommunication sector, and the list goes on and on. Same principle, very simple. Now, let's move on. Now, bored and listless have nothing to do on Saturday, the 3rd of December. Well, Saturday the 3rd of December marks the 162nd anniversary of the Eureka Rebellion. And for the last 15 years, since 2002, the Anarchist Media Institute has been organising the reclaim of the radical spirit of the Eureka Rebellion celebrations. 
And we began them in 2002 because when we went up in 2001 to join the celebrations, there were no celebrations in Ballarat on the day. None. And this year, it'll be the same. There'll be a little bit here, a little bit there, but nothing. No leadership from the previous Ballarat City Council or this Ballarat City Council. But we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. Imagine this. It's dark. There's 104 people in the stockade. That's all. That's all there was. 104 people. There's a campfire, a blacksmith shop where the pikes had been made in the previous two or three days. All of a sudden, shots ring out. Horses come coming down on the stockade. People get up, do what they can to halt the onslaught. Four times the numbers of troopers and police in comparison to the people in the stockade. And in the middle of the stockade are the pikemen. 30 men don't have muskets, don't have rifles, don't have guns. They're these long pikes. Think about it. They stand there with their pikes, giving their brothers behind them and sisters behind them the time to escape through the stockade into into the camp. Fifteen are slaughtered, butchered, hacked, shot. Another fifteen somehow manage to escape. Daybreak. The battle's ended, the massacre's begun. For the next three hours, the Victoria Police component, as well as many of the troops, go wild. This is their big chance. There's smoke, there's crying, there's the moans of those that are dying, the screams of those that are in pain. There's fires as tents have been burnt by the troopers and the police as the dawn breaks. There are people being pulled out of tents and shot. There are people being robbed by the police and the soldiers. This orgy of looting and arson and murder continues for three hours after the initial battle. And on the battlefield, we see women jumping the stockade site, jumping the stockade, rushing into that space, draping their bodies over dying men to protect them from the the bayonet thrusts of the troops and the soldiers and the smell of burning flesh and the smoke and the cries and the children scattered to the four winds as the tents burn. This is Australia, Ballarat, 1854, 162 years ago. And at 4am this Saturday, we will be there at that very site, at that very time, to mark that moment with a dawn ceremony at Eureka Park at the corner of Eureka and Stall Street. When you go to Eureka Park, there's a Museum of Australian Democracy in the gully and on top of the hill is the old Eureka Memorial. You can see the cannons there. Join us there. Breakfast at Eureka Hall at 6am. Bring your own food and drinks. Then we march from Eureka Park to Bakery Hill to reaffirm the Eureka Oath. And just to remind you, there will be a burning of an effigy of a, of a well-known and influential 
Australian on the day. We do have our limits. We only burn Australians. Well, you have to have limits. We march from Eureka Park to Bakery Hill to reaffirm the Eureka Oath. We swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other and fight to defend our rights and liberties. Presentation of the Eureka Australia Day medals. There'll be eight this year from 9.30am to 10.30am at Bakery Hill in Ballarat. 11am down at Ballarat Town Hall for the Eureka Stump Orations. Once again, no Eureka flag on the main flagpole on the Ballarat Town Hall. 162 years, not once in the history of that city has the Eureka flag been flown on the main flagpole on the Ballarat Town Hall. The council could make that decision tomorrow. Then walk to the old Ballarat Cemetery to pay our respects to all those who died in the Eureka battle. Please bring flowers. Bring flowers in the morning. Take them with you on the walk. 1.30pm. We'll be down at Ballarat Trades Hall, 24 Camp Street, for a light lunch. Bring your own food. You can buy drinks at the bar. Then we will walk or drive down to the Museum of Australian Democracy at Eureka at 2pm to view the Eureka flag. Afternoon tea. And then that evening, the annual, the Eureka annual dinner at the Ballarat Indian Restaurant. Seven Wainwright, W-A-I-N-W-R-I-G-H-T, Street Golden Point, but I'm sure you can find all that thing. $20 for adults, children under $12, $5, but $20 for adults, Indian smorgasbord, drinks extra, doesn't cost anything for the rest of the day. 4 a.m. to 10 p.m., 18 hours. Guest speaker at the Eureka dinner, Dr. Anne Bugs, Bugs, Beg Sunter, lecturer in history at Federation University, and she'll be talking about Evelyn Healy, the unheralded Eureka champion. And the entertainment will be the Black Orchid String Band and the Bard, who'll be singing his original song, The Pikeman's Dog, both at the dawn ceremony and at the dinner. Reclaim the radical spirit of the Eureka Rebellion. Join us, 4am, Eureka Park, corner of your stall in Eureka Street, Ballarat, this Saturday, 3rd of December, mark the 162nd anniversary of the Eureka Rebellion. Join us. Number 0439-395-489. Email anarchistage at yahoo.net. Postbox, Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Websites you can look at, anarchistmedia.org, pibci, P-I-B-C-I dot net. The uh, Defend and Extend Public Housing Facebook page and my own personal Facebook page where you can get all this information from, Toscano, the number for the public. Toscano for the public. And remember, listen in to the Anarchist World this week, next week, on your local community radio station. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse, 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.